There's no I in team, but there is one in Indeed. And that's the hiring platform that you need to build yours. When you're hiring, you need Indeed. Instead of spending hours on multiple job sites searching for candidates with the right skills, Indeed's a powerful hiring platform that can help you do it all. One of the things I love about Indeed is that it makes hiring all in one place so easy because Indeed does the hard work for you. They show you the candidates whose resumes on Indeed fit your description immediately after you post so you can hire faster. Join more than 3 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. Start hiring now with a $75 sponsored job credit to upgrade your job post at Indeed.com slash BlueWireSports. Offer good for a limited time. Claim your $75 credit now at Indeed.com slash BlueWireSports. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWireSports. And support the show by saying that you heard it on this podcast. Indeed.com slash BlueWireSports. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. back everybody to another episode of bub on the bat flip episode 35 we're gonna look at april adps one through 120 basically 10 rounds in a 12 team draft compare them a little bit to march adps and just give our thoughts on some of these guys and how we'd approach them this time around find me on twitter at bd intric and my co-host as always on twitter at bat flip crazy toby how we doing man we are doing uh, well, Bubba. Uh, doing pretty well, all things considering. Uh, really interested to see the Jeff Passan article uh, mm-hmm. earlier today that mentioned that it seems like uh, most people are in agreement that there's going to be a season. I still, you know, I know, I know how much you dislike the doubters. I've still got a little bit of doubt in my mind. We're but, starting um... out the episode with this. <laughs> oh, I've man. still got a little bit, but. I'm, I can be convinced. I'm being convinced. Uh, the excitement is growing. I can feel it uh, within me. And I'm very, uh, very excited uh, for baseball to happen soon. Yeah, the passing article is pretty cool. It's got a bunch of different scenarios that have been talked about. Most of them we've already heard. There's scenarios even uh, about a potential just playoff tournament in like October and November, which has some cool ideas to it. It's just, it'll be interesting to see how fantasy can play out on some of these ideas. But in theory, they're going to give us some sort of baseball, some kind of, um, at minimum, I think the tournament was like 60 games ramped up. Like there, there's different ways to, to break it all down. The idea is most of them are like 100 game seasons and uh, go from there, maybe add a couple extra playoff spots and uh, should be fun. Should be fun. So they're going to try to make that work for us. But uh, we got some good listener questions after. We get through this 120, so let's get cracking on it. Now, like I said, um, we're using ADP. I'm, I'm referencing the ranking on the left. Obviously, not the ADP, ADP in the middle. It's the only way to make the list. I hate to break it to people. That's how it worked. Uh, so we, our list is the April 
uh, from April 1st to where we are today, April 27th, online NFBC ADP. Some of the numbers we'll reference will come back from March, so on and so forth. Just kind of give an idea on the movers up and down, just kind of overall thoughts on guys that maybe have changed. So the first round, according to April, would go Acuna, Trout, Christian Yellick, Cody Bellinger, Garrett Cole, Jacob DeGrom, Mookie Betts, at eight, Francisco Lindor, nine, Trey Turner. The only difference is Juan Soto's 10, Trevor Story's 11. Those were flip-flopped in March. And then Walker Buehler's 12. So essentially, one through 12 has not changed. Do you have any new opinions on that one through 12, Toby? Um, not too much. I mean, it's not, as you mentioned, it's not that different. Just some 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 thoughts that I've been having recently is if we are in a really offensive environment, you know, let's say the Arizona plan or at least some teams in, in Arizona, you know, if it is like an offensively charged environment, I think some of these top speed guys like Trey Turner may get a little bit of a boost because you could see, I mean, one of the reasons why we saw stolen bases you know, again, go down last year is because of the home run environment that we had, where it really wasn't worth it for non-elite speed guys to steal that often uh, because of the the potential for really anybody to hit a home run. And so I think we, if we do get like an Arizona only plan, as has been discussed, uh, and this, the hitting environment is really friendly, I think you could see those type of Trey Turner guys take a be very valuable because I think stolen bases overall will go down because teams will be a little bit more hesitant uh, to run guys into outs. So that's, that's one of the things that stood out. The other one um, to me was just uh, Walker Bueller obviously has cemented himself as the clear SP three with the Verlander injury, even though, you know, Verlander uh, should be back and healthy by the time we're playing baseball. And so even though he's at 12 right here, I think in some of the, um, Higher stakes drafts, like in the main event on NFBC, I think I'd be surprised to see Bueller get pet, pack, uh, get past pick 10 um, because I think he's he's pretty clearly right there as as the number three starting pitcher for a lot of people um, and, and somebody who that I would target in that same spot as well. So those are kind of the two guys that jump out at me. Um, how about you? Yeah, the, uh, the Turner still being at nine surprised me just because not so much that everyone that's listening to the show knows I'm a big Trey Turner fan. I kind of have him number one out of the three shortstops, but uh, I've seen so much Trevor Story love by a lot of great analysts and a lot of uh, ADPs from really, really smart people that I figured Story had kind of cemented himself next to Lindor there and the fact that he actually dropped down from 10 to 11, obviously not a big jump, but he did drop down a little bit. It was a bit of a surprise to me in, in that scenario, Juan Soto getting some love it as well. So I like the Turner call there. Uh, Bellinger, I'm actually surprised, has cemented himself at number four. He was there in March. He's still there in April. Uh, I don't know if it's because people are maybe more excited for the big power bats in these power environments or if that's just the way it's going because I know you and I both would rather Cole or DeGrom, one of the big aces, after the big three. You'd take Cole ahead of the big three. But myself, I know a lot of others that do respect the pitching would have taken a Cole or DeGrom at four and Bellinger throughout the whole draft season has slowly made himself up and now cemented himself in four the last couple months. So that one kind of surprised me a little bit. Maybe it shows that the first base position drops off so much. So you kind of get that as a staple. I know uh, Matt Modica has been doing a bunch of auctions and he's been spending a ton of money. Like he makes, he makes sure he leaves a draft with Cody Bellinger. So um, it, it, people are, are liking uh, belly bombs and uh, that's interesting for me to see as well. But other than that, uh, I agree with you. Walker Bueller has 
locked himself in at number three. Uh, Verlander's the back end of round two now. Uh, Scherzer's going around 15. So they're kind of locked in there. And yeah, Bueller, number the, the third one off the board, is uh, pretty much locked in stone. Let's head to round two now, where we have a little, a little bit more movement here. You got Jose Ramirez, he's up two spots to 13. You got Aaron Otto, Scherzer, Bregman at 16. Freddie Freeman has jumped three spots from March to 17. He was 20 in, in March. Uh, Fernando Tatis Jr., Bryce Harper, Justin Verlander has dropped two spots from 18 to 20. Uh, you got Jack Flaherty at 21. J.D. Martinez has dropped two spots from 20 to 22, which was interesting to me. And then Anthony Rendon and Rafael Devers round out 13 through 24. Anything stand out to you in the round two p- uh, possibilities? Yeah, one guy who's a little interesting to me is Nolan Arenado. I mean, being there at 14, obviously, I think at this point, we're pretty much assuming that, you know, the Rockies will not be playing in Coors Field. And so, you know, it's unlikely that they're going to maintain the same advantage over the rest of the league in terms of hitting environment. And so I'm surprised to see him still clinging on there at number 14 in the first round. I feel like in a lot of drafts I've been in, he has been going a little bit later, uh, you know, than that in the 15 teamers, you know, probably like the 15 to 17 range. So I'm surprised to see that fantasy owners have not baked in that move out of cores uh, for this season, which I think is, is the most likely scenario, but um, he's still hanging on there. I think he's, you know, the lack of speed combined with the cores factor for me would make him kind of undraftable at that spot. But Uh, The other guy for me that stands out uh, who I think is going to be really interesting and could swing a lot of fantasy leagues is Justin Verlander. You know, he's obviously, he fell. Now he's kind of returning a little bit um, more recently. Uh, But, you know, at at pick 20, it's it's a steep price to pay for a guy who, yes, he hasn't had a significant injury history until this season, but he's already had you know, multiple issues in spring training. He should be healthy by the time he gets back. But it'll be interesting to see whether that is enough to, you know, deter fantasy owners from grabbing him. You know, he could be a really nice kind of second ace. Um, You know, if you have a guy who's maybe a little bit steadier, like a Bueller-Verlander combo, something like that, uh, in a 15-team league, it could be really interesting. But I, I don't know where exactly I'm at with Verlander. I think it really depends on how the first round goes for me, but, you know, could be a huge, huge value for fantasy owners if he can pitch anywhere near what he's done in previous seasons, but a lot of risk with those, uh, those two injuries he's already suffered so far this year. Yeah. It's good to see Jose Ramirez kind of getting the love that you and I both have for him. He's up to 13 now. So he's on the, he's on the turn in a 12 team. He's on the back end of a, a, a 15 team, which I'm pretty sure you and I have both pretty much been on board with. This whole draft season, though, so it's good to see him get a little more love there. Maybe it goes to your same Trey Turner thoughts that the stolen bases are going to be elevated any, even more. The Arenado comments are very true because if he's out of Coors Field, it's uh, pretty much an even playing field. So it makes me wonder. You see JD Martinez drop a couple spots. Why isn't Arenado like? To me, they're almost the same player now. One's at third base, one's in the outfield. But uh, if there's a universal DH, I guess it doesn't even matter for JD. It makes it even better for him. But hitting wise in Arizona, they're going to be pretty much. Pretty much pretty similar to me. Lots of powers, good average, don't run. A lot, lot of similarities there between those two. So that's interesting. Um, Freddie Freeman getting a, a bump, I think maybe it's pure speculation. I mentioned with Bellinger, maybe people are thinking, you know, first base. 
after all the talk about it, maybe people drafted and everything, they realize just how dried up that position can get. And if you wait, you're, you're really playing with fire with some interesting options towards the back end there where you can get some reliability and a Freddie Freeman getting that three uh, three pick bump. That's a significant bump early on in the draft. Not crazy other places, but right now it stood out. It's the highest bump in the first two rounds, let's put it that way. So huh. it, it stands out there quite a bit. I agree with you on Verlander. It's interesting if you're going like your pocket ace approach, Toby, that he can say you take one of the big three hitters up top. You might be able to start Verlander and come back with like a Bieber or something or a Clevenger, and that could get really interesting to create your pocket aces scenario. So I'm with you. It all depends. Age might finally catch up. Injuries, who knows? But if he's the Verlander of old, that's a steal at that point in the draft. A guy that was going back in first round, going ahead of Bueller at points in this draft season. So pretty interesting stuff there. But uh, those are the first big movers and shakers we saw until we head to round three, where we get our first five-digit move and some other interesting drops in a different direction. At 20, 25, we got Starling Marte. So Marte's almost creeped in to the second round in a 12-teamer, Toby, and he is in the second round of a 15-teamer. Do you want to take credit for that? Do you want Todd Solon <laughs> to take credit for that? Um, I know I've been on the bandwagon. People are listening, Toby. Yeah, you know, I would definitely give Todd a lot more credit than I would give myself for uh, starting that movement. I thought I was all bold getting him at 19, but um, no, I, I I think it makes sense. I mean, as people think more about roster construction, the reason why I was pushing him up wasn't necessarily because I felt like he was going to return value at that point. I feel like early on in the drafts, it's less about who's going to return value and who's going to create that foundation for you to go after value later on in, in drafts. Um, and so for that reason, I was, I was really, um, I liked Marte because a lot of these second round hitters, they don't have speed, right? And so that's a really high price to pay for some guys who don't have speed. Like you look at, uh, you know, Devers, he has a little bit of speed, but, you know, not necessarily a speed guy. Rendon, very little speed. JD, uh, not, he's non-existent. Harper does have a little bit of speed, but again, not, not anything to necessarily to write home about. Tatis does have speed. Freeman, not really. Bregman, not really. You know, Arenado, not really. So there's a lot of guys there, you know, offensively who are not going to help you out too much in the speed department. And so I think it makes sense for Marte to move up um, because I, I, I do think that that's a really, that's an effective roster construction strategy is to attack speed early on, especially speed that doesn't hurt you in batting average and is not really going to hurt you in power that much. I mean, last year, I think in main events, like each one of your 14 hitters needed to average like 23 home runs or something like that to be 80th percentile. And so if that's the case, you know, Marte certainly isn't giving you a cushion, but he's at least not hurting you too much. So I, I actually really like that. Um, I really like the fact that he's moving up. Not, not, I don't like it personally because it's going to make it more difficult for me to draft him. <laughs> but um, I, I'm glad to see that fantasy owners are are getting wise to uh, to the draft Marte early um, movement, if you will. For fun, like we're both on Marte here. We like Marte. We've just been talking about how Arizona is going to kind of even out the playing field. Marte offers steals. I know where I stand on this. Would you rather have Marte than a guy like J.D. Martinez? Uh Yes. Yeah, I mean, I drafted the highest I've drafted Marte is at pick 17. Um, I picked him at t uh, pick 17 in one of my early DCs, one of my draft champions, the 50, 
player draft and hold uh, 15 teamers. So I would definitely draft him over JD Martinez. I mean, I love JD. Um, actually, that's probably a lie compared to a lot of people, but you know, he's got the batting average. He's got everything else, but I think the speed is just so big um, early on. So again, I, I, I differ from people a lot of times in that respect. How about you? Which one are you? Um, I would go Starling Marte. You I, I want that. I want that speed too. I've been, that's one thing I talked about a lot in my early drafting. I'm trying to lock up some speed with my first few batters. I'm not going to say everyone because sometimes a guy stands out, but you know, I'll, I got a lot of like Starling Marte's, uh, Javi Baez is like Tommy Fams or Laureano's. I, I go for a lot of guys. I want like four or five guys that have like 20 plus steel upside. And so I'm, I'm grabbing those. And Marte is a great one to get early. It helps you in all five categories. So I like that quite a bit. Would you rather go Marte or Bryce Harper? Oh, Marte. Easy. Yeah, that's what I, was I know I know. there's a lot of people on the Harper train, so I wanted to bring that one up. I think I'd still go Marte as well, but Harper's a little more appealing to me, but he's not going to run much, and that's a big, big difference there. So yeah. intriguing there. After Starling Marte, pick 26 is Shane Bieber. He has not moved a lot. But the next guy at 27, his teammate, Mikey Clevenger, has jumped five spots since March, obviously, because good news of his injury. So he's up to 27. Strasburg's dropped at 1 to 28. You got Ozzy Albies at 29. Alberto Mondesi's up 1 to 30. Glaber Torres, I'd like to thank the listeners of Bench with Bubba and Bubba in the Bat Flip. He has dropped three spots. That is outstanding. <laughs> um, You're welcome. <laughs> Pete Alonso's dropped two. Javi Baez. And then this one. I don't know. I, 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 this is just too funny. It's ironic because I did not look at this before the bold predictions last week. Uh, Austin Meadows has dropped four spots in the last month. He's gone from thir- 30 to 34. It's, and, it's, the, it's, the Bubba, it's the Bubba bounce. It's the Bubba the, bounce. It's the Bubba get, bounce instead of the Bubba bump. He's about you know, to get bounced like, out of the you, third you round. You bounced him. You bounced him <laughs> four spots with your bold prediction. There we go. Jose Altuve is actually at two spots to 35. And Kershaw stay in Pat at 36. So what other names stood out to you in the third uh, third round there? Was we, we finally had a little more movement compared to the first two. Yeah, you know, we talked a little bit about Mike Clevenger the previous week, so I won't go too much into depth there. But I think it's a similar situation to Verlander, right, where you have, you know, potential for big value. But also, yes, he should be over the earlier injury from spring training. But remember, he missed time last year with injury as well. The best predictor of injury is past injury. And so I think there's a little bit of a yellow flag on him for me. The pitcher that I like a lot um, in this round who's kind of growing on me more is Steven Strasburg. That is great Um, to hear. Yeah, just because I think his repertoire really plays well um, in hitter-friendly environments. He's among the uh, league's best at inducing ground balls. I think he was at 51.1% last year. You know, he's got that nasty changeup. And he already pitches in a pretty hitter-friendly park in Nationals Park. Um, And so I feel like he can make a pretty good move or adjustment if we are in a hitter-friendly setting. Again, like a lot of my analysis will probably center around that just because that seems to be what might happen if we go to Arizona. But there's so many issues around like the humidor effect and different park factors and elevation. Um, And then if they play some of the games in Florida or Texas or in major league parks, there's so many different variables. But I feel like he's a guy where he'll be good in any type of environment because of the repertoire that he has. Mondesi is interesting. I thought he had shot up draft boards just because of I haven't drafted in, in over a month now. And I think he's really interesting because he's now, you know, the injury concerns are a little bit less. 
And he's now moving into most likely a more hitter-friendly environment. Kauffman Stadium is one of the least hitter-friendly environments. And so that might be able to help him a little bit with the power. I don't think so with the batting average. That's still a little bit of a liability with him. But if he can be a power-speed guy like he was his first year, you know, maybe even hit the, the equivalent of you know, 20 home runs, uh, that's, a, that's a ton of value that he could generate. And then the last guy I'll mention in the round um, is Clayton Kershaw. Uh, you know, with the shortened season, the K's won't necessarily be there. But man, if you're worried about pitchers being effective in different environments, I feel like Kershaw has been effective all the time, even though he might not be as good as he's been. The ratios have always been there. So um, he's a really interesting guy for me right there at, at pick 36 as well. So those are some of the guys that jumped out to me. Um, you said Clevenger feels a lot like Verlander to you. Would you rather Verlander or Clevenger if you had to draft tonight? Ooh, if I had to draft tonight, oh man, Baba, I'm not ready to answer these types of questions. These hard, <laughs> these hard hitting questions. Um, for me, if I was drafting tonight, I would. There's so much information I need to know, like what what the stadiums are and all that jazz. I might lean Clevenger actually a little bit, just because you know he is younger. Um, he is, it was a knee and not an arm related issue, uh, for Clevenger. And then I also think with Verlander, um, I don't know, man, it's really tough. It's really tough. I I would go Verlander. I can't do it. I can't do it. I would do, I would go Verlander. How's that for waffling? (laughs) I'm going to go Clevenger. I'll go Clevenger. The no arm situation helps a ton. In reality, when we draft, hopefully in another month or so, I'll probably end up going to Verlander when I get the clean bill of health because I was a huge Verlander fan before the injury this preseason in drafts. I was, I had no problem grabbing him late first round, early second as my as my first starter. I was a big, big Verlander fan. So right now, but I was also a huge Clevenger fan. So I'm going Clevenger right now. I feel more confident in his arm and all that jazz being 100. percent Plus that hip. Just worries me with Verlander a bit, but uh, it's real close. It's real close. That's why I wanted to ask it. Uh, Strasburg, that's an interesting one because I'm, I like Strasburg a lot. So many people were, were down on Strasburg, but a lot of it was due to the workload last year. Well, heck, he's getting a longer offseason. So that arm's just going to be ready to rock and roll come regular season, you'd hope. So I, I like I like the Strasburg call quite a bit. Uh, a lot of uh, good things. Glaber falling, Austin falling, things I, that are in line with what I like here. So round three pretty much going – in the right direction if I'm looking at my cyber rankings. But uh, we head to round four. Some more interesting stuff happening here. Jonathan Villar stays at pick 37. Luis Castillo drops three spots to 38. He was in the third round. He's drops into the fourth. Cattell Marte stays at 39. Xander Bogart's up three spots to 40. Keston here at 41. Blake Snell is up three spots to 42. Patty Corbin at 43. And then my boy. Bo Bichette jumps up 10 spots to 44. 10 spots. Jordan Alvarez drops four spots to 45. Uh, JT Romuto's at 46. Matt Olson up two spots to 47. And Lucas Giolito drops two spots to 48. Anything standing out to you here, Toby? Well, what stood out to me, I don't know if you could hear it in the background there. Uh, was we, my, could. we could. Was, was my small child calling for his... Uh, for his mother, who was in the other room with my other small child who's going to sleep while I record the podcast. So um, those mommies are, uh, you give a shout out to Milo Gavon for the ones right there. 
Um, so, uh, for me in this round, I mean, what stands out and I know we're going to get into a battle Royale here on the podcast about this one, um, is Bo Bichette at 44. Um, I just have a really hard time, uh, fathoming Bo Bichette that high up. Um, you know, obviously he was good. I did a video on this and so I, I just, I don't, I understand why people love, I understand why you and others love Bo Bichette. I think he's a really fantastic player. I just think where he's going, there's just such little, there, there's such little opportunity, I think, to for growth from there. And even more so, like you're really asking him to do things that he hasn't done before. Uh, if you look at his stolen bases in particular was where my major concern is uh, for Bichette. Uh, you look at his stolen bases and he is, you know, he's not been great throughout his career at his stolen base success rate, even in the minors. Uh, I believe it was um, 74% was his stolen base success rate in the minors. So he's not even at that 75% mark in the minors. He was only four for eight last year. He stole four. He had four stolen bases in over 200 plate appearances. So even if you you know, extrapolate that out over a full season. You're looking at 12. His OBP won't be as good as it was last year because I think the batting average was uh, buoyed a little bit by uh, a really high BABIP. He had like a 368 BABIP for the full season. So I think when his batting average drops down to like, you know, 280, 270s, which he's projected for, the OBP isn't that great. And I don't think the speed is that legit either. And so... For those reasons, I just can't buy him where he's going right now. Um, again, like I understand like the five category contributor piece to that. I understand that uh, development isn't linear, but I just have a really difficult time paying for him um, at that cost because I don't think he's the same type of prospect that some of the other guys are that we um, have seen be so successful. Like I look at what Keston Hura did going doing going three picks ahead of him versus what uh, Bichette I think is capable of. And I'd much rather have Hura in that particular scenario, but um, that's my Bo Bichette rant. I apologize. Everybody who's a Blue Jays fan who is listening to this, you are not going to like me. I think after this podcast is over, you don't like, you don't like many Blue Jays. It sounds like uh, I just think that the Blue Jays are really overdrafted. Like I think Vlad, like I did my bold prediction last week on him being, um, you know, I think, uh, overrated at this point in his career. Apologies, all the prospect guys out there. I hope you still like me, but I just, um, I just can't see it. I just can't pay for it right there. And I apologize for that. It's okay, baby blue Jay fans. I got you. Buddy. It's okay. <laughs> Bubba's you can, got you. Bubba's you, got you, you. You can come hang out with me. I don't for hate sure. the take. I don't hate the take on here versus Bichette. I, I get that. I was talking an episode or two ago of how I've really opened up to Keston Hira. And so I, I have no problem with that at all. I think it's an interesting comparison between the two. I think they both have very similar skill sets. And Hira just showcased it a little bit longer last year, but both could be uh, very, very similar ball players. So I like both of those. I look at it kind of like I'd rather gamble on a Bichette or a Hira over a Xander Bogarts, but that's me. I know that kind of rubs a lot of people the wrong, the wrong way because they like Xander, but he doesn't steal bases for me. So that's just something I can get a Xander type, in my opinion, at a different point in the draft. So I guess this round, it just kind of depends on where you're going. Bichette jumping 10 spots, I did not expect that. That's a lot of helium. Kind of makes me angry because I've been on the Bichette bandwagon when he was like a 10th round pick at one point in time. So he's, he's jumped up quite a bit. 
this offseason. So I sadly, I don't even know if I'll own Bo Bichette at this price tag. I'd probably go here over Bichette at this point. I was much more of a fan when it was round six or round seven, and we get to some of those names. Um, I still think he's going to be great. I have Bichette as one of my like top shortstops going in the draft. It's just challenging at this point in the draft. Uh, it, what other names stood out to you here besides uh, you know, your boys here? A couple of your boys are in this range. Yeah, I mean, uh, JT Real Muto, I think, is really interesting. I think him and Sanchez are really interesting. Mo- well, mo- mo- more Real Muto just because he's a way better player and he's fairly unique as a catcher. But if if I didn't lose you already on my Bo Bichette take, I mean, my JT Real Muto love should push you over the uh, over the edge of, of believing anything I say moving forward. But I think what's going to be really interesting with Real Muto and just catcher values in general is how the games are structured. So you can see a situation where, you know, there's a lot of double headers, uh, shortened games where, you know, instead of, you know, um, getting nine innings one game and then off for the next, you get, you know, seven innings from a catcher and then they're sitting the second game of that double header, you know, so that isn't, that would be, you know, an interesting situation where catchers could really lose, I think, a lot of value because even a guy like Real Muto, I don't think they're going to throw him out in the catcher position for 14 innings in a, in a particular game at the same stretch, like, you know, so that could be a dent to his value, but he's also such a good hitter. If they have the universal DH as has been mentioned, then you could see Real Muto serving in the DH role a lot more often and pretty much playing every single, you know, nearly every single game. So I think that that is going to be really interesting like that especially Real Muto, maybe a little bit of Sanchez. You know, he already has the universal DH, but just with like the depth, you know, that is going to be necessary for this league. Like, but Real Muto in particular, I think he could be incredibly valuable under the net, under the the structure that they decide on. And then I think similarly, he could lose some value uh, based on what they determine for the structure of the games and, and just the schedule. So I think that's just something that's really interesting to me about uh, more so about Real Muto than about catchers overall, but it's certainly going to impact catcher values down the board. If a catcher isn't good enough to be in that universal DH slot, then they may be in a scenario where they're going to lose plate appearances. So that's just the one little piece on JT that I wanted to mention there. Obviously a huge bargain uh, at dra- at an ADP of 46 <laughs> right now. Yes. Uh, it's going to be interesting with the catchers in general, not just the double header part when it's, multiple 100-degree days in a row, that's going to wear on a guy mm-hmm. pretty quickly. So I think you might get more off days than usual just for any catcher. Obviously, like you said, he could DH or something, which could help a ton in Real Muto's case. But for catchers in general, something to definitely keep an eye on in, in that scenario. Um, like I mentioned, a couple others here. Blake Snell jumped up three spots. I, I think the news of him potentially getting healthy. I'm still not a Blake Snell guy. I, that shoulder scares the snot out of me. So I'll be passing there. Uh, but Jordan Alvarez dropping four spots. I, I haven't really owned much Jordan because the DH only. I'll take Nelson Cruz later or someone else. And now if everyone's a D has a DH, that changes things even more. But uh, Jordan dropping four spots is quite interesting to me. All right, let's go to round five now. You got Chris Paddock at forty nine, so he's, he's one pick behind Giolito. I'll still take Giolito over Paddock. Pretty sure you Giolito that one in a second. Yeah, that one's uh, too close to comfort. That's just crazy. Uh, George Springer at 50. And then Charlie Blackman has jumped up to 51. Toby, do you want to take a guess on how many spots he's jumped up? Oh, man, Bubba. 
Um, Just a guess. I'm I'm gonna guess five. He has jumped seven spots in the last Damn. month. What? And this is pure speculation. Just fun. See to your pants. What do you think moved him up seven spots? Because I could not wrap my like other guys. You can kind of point to something. I have no idea what Charlie Blackman. I have no idea either. I mean, <laughs> I you'd think he'd lose a lot of value I thought moving, he that, moving of out of cores, and <laughs> that's bizarre. Yeah, that one. That's one of these. Like I said, I, I looked at all one twenty. That one's there's a couple, but that one really made me kind of scratch my head. After Blackman, you got you Darvish at fifty two. Our first closer off the board at fifty three, and Josh Hader. He's up two spots. Charlie Morton's down two to 54. Whit Merrifield's up two to 55. Nola's at 56. Aaron Judge, obviously, now that he's healthier, he is jumping up the boards. He is one of the highest jumps. Not the highest, but one of the highest. He's up to 57. He has jumped 20 spots in the last month. Uh, and we still haven't got a full bill of health out of him yet, but he still jumped 20 spots. Chris Bryant's steady at 58. Tyler Glass now is up three spots to 59. And Granky's at 60. Uh, what things stood out to you in round five? Well, what stands out to me most is there's like zero guys I want to draft in this round. <laughs> True like that. that. Um, no, I mean, the guy, that, the two guys that jump out for me are pitchers who I think because of, again, like depending on the environment that we're in. But if, if, if we are in a hitter-friendly environment and ground ball pitchers are more successful, I think Charlie Morton, I think he's a guy who just with the pitch mix, with the, the high ground ball rate, he can be effective in pretty much any environment. Um, Aaron Nola as well. I mean, moving out of Citizens uh, ballpark, which is a pretty tough ballpark to pitch in, um, you know, he may still, it may still be a more hitter friendly environment that he's in, but I think a lot of people will be in a similar situation. He generates a lot of ground balls with the curveball um, uh, and the, the changeup that he has. And so, he is a guy who maybe gets a little bit of a slight bump who, or who I feel a little bit more comfortable with um, as a starting pitcher in that scenario. But mostly it's this is just a group of guys that I'm not, you know, that uh, into drafting really. Um, so I will uh, just take some guys from round six in round yeah. five probably. Yeah, I'm pretty sure I'm with you for the most part. Like you, Darvish, huge fan of you. Like I'll, I'll go to you, Darvish, for sure. Other than that, I'm not over the moon with any of these. Aaron Judge, I still do not want to touch at 57. Uh, I don't I don't care. I'm not going to draft Aaron Judge unless I'm like a 1,000% sure and I'm just throwing a dart at the wall, like a complete upside dart situation. Otherwise, I'll pass on that. Um, Zach Grank, he's always interesting. Uh, he's a guy I can kind of trust in an environment like Arizona uh, to, to pitch well, similar to the Kershaw effect there. But, yeah, pretty not a great round. Not a great round at all. But it gets fun in round six. A lot of fun in round six. Yohan Mankata at 61 is up two spots. Eloy Jimenez has dropped three spots to 62. Your boy, Vlad <laughs> Guerrero Jr. has dropped 10 spots. 10 spots in the last month. So people are listening to you. You bounced Vlad Guerrero Jr. Wow. Uh, or you, you bat flipped him out of the fifth round. Um, <laughs> Manny Machado has dropped three spots. Victor Robles is hanging tight. DJ the Mayhew, Kirby Yates. Giancarlo Stanton has jumped 13 spots because people are thinking he's going to be healthy now. Rizzo and Goldie are sitting pat. Max Muncie has jumped up five spots. And Jose Abreu has jumped up three. So we definitely have some moving and shaking in this round. You have the floor. 
Yeah, I mean, for me, there's a lot of guys that I like in this round. I love Yohan Moncada. I just, uh, I think he's uh, going to be going to take a real nice jump after a real nice jump last year. Uh, so Vlad Jr., I mentioned him. I won't go into too much depth because people who listen to the Bold Predictions episode last week will know that I'm not a big fan of Vlad at the at the cost this year. I just think, you know, with zero stolen bases coming your way already, um, and then you uh, add in the fact that he has such a high ground ball rate, it's really hard to hit a ton of home runs, especially when your exit velocity isn't actually that great when you hit the ball in the air. Uh, so I think he's got a lot of work uh, to do uh, to become the player that we were all hoping he was going to become. And again, he's still very young, so I'm not throwing water on the fact that he won't be a great player at some point in time. But I just think that we're expecting too much of a jump in too many areas for him to be able to return value going at the cost that he's at right now. I love Victor Robles where he's going at mostly. Um, if they, if they do move to seven inning games, I mean, one of the impacts of that is guys towards the back end of the lineup are going to really struggle to get plate appearances. Um, so if Robles is batting seventh and eighth again, like he was last year, I mean, there may be some games where he just gets two of plate appearances, you know, getting four plate appearances is going to be a real challenge. Um, so, you know, that could hurt him, but where he's going right now, I have him as a huge value especially, you know, as we discussed, like stolen bases may be even more valuable this year. You know, if it is an offensive friendly environment and teams aren't running as much. And so a guy with Robles's speed, who's already been successful stealing bases, who's young, who we have no reason to believe he'll get worse than he was last year. Um, you know, I, I, that's a guy that I really like uh, going where he's going right now. And I just think it's interesting with Yates, you know, at 67, it's less about Yates, but more about the fact that we really see some of the closers, the top end closers pushing up now as we get closer theoretically to draft time. And so that was just something that, you know, Yates hasn't necessarily moved up that much, but I think you, you're starting to see guys who were going in the nineties are now going in the eighties or the seventies and guys who are going in the one hundreds to one tens are now going in the eighties and the nineties. So guys are moving up 10 to 20 spots uh, from the closer perspective, but there's just a ton of guys I love in here. Yoman Makata. I like a lot. I like Jimenez. Um, I like Robles. I love DJ LeMayhew and the position flexibility he's got. You know, Rizzo going where he's going, I think, is a really good steal. Uh, Abreu, obviously, is a very good player. So a lot of really great players here in the sixth round in 12-teamers. Yeah, no doubt about that. I'm a huge Mankata fan with you as well. Um, I'm surprised Eloy's dropping, honestly. I, I know I said Fran Mill over Eloy. I still like Eloy a lot. It's the bounce. It's the Bubba yeah. bounce again. I, st- I still like Eloy a lot. I just got to pick a guy up in this range. So it was nothing personal to Eloy, but yeah, pretty interesting there. Badito falling. I, I'm kind of half happy inside to see Machado fall because the first part of the draft season everyone's pointing to is X stats. And, you know, we all use X stats and everything. Look at the total package for uh, Machado is all I ask. And sure. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to cut this off real quick. If they play a full season in hitter-friendly Arizona, he's probably going to have a good season. Okay, don't get me wrong there. It's when he plays half a season in Petco, we can talk again. So um, Machado's not worth that price. I'm with you. I'm, I've been a Victor Robles believer from day one. He's a guy that when he does make quality contact, it matters. And he's not one of those guys that relies on volume of quality contact. It's more the efficiency of his quality contact. So very, very good stuff there. Other than that, Muncy getting the bump. That was interesting. He's passed Abreu. Usually he's been sitting behind Abreu. He passed Abreu in round six. Going to round seven now, you got another closer. It rolled as Chapman at 73. Jose Barrios, which is interesting, Toby. 
He's dropped three spots, but you'd almost think a guy that could eat up innings might be more valuable in a shortened season. But here we are. He's dropped three. Lou Bob, Lewis Robert has dropped eight spots. Eight spots. The fall for Robert, wow. Robert I'm going to keep calling him Robert, has been quite interesting. And then Ramon Laureano, he's dropped four spots to 76. So that kind of love, love fest has slowed down. Woodruff stayed the same. Tommy Pham has dropped five spots. So these outfielders are starting to drop, which is pretty interesting to me. Eugenio Suarez up four spots. Ozuna sitting the same. Trevor Bauer down two. Okay, now this one. I mentioned the Charlie Blackman up seven surprised me, Toby. Nelson Cruz has dropped 12 spots in the last month. 12. For what reason, I have no idea. Nick Castellanos is up two to 83, and Gary Sanchez up two to 83. So the big ones here, Nelly Cruz dropped 12 spots. Suarez up four. Tommy Pham down five. Loreano down four. Lou Bob down eight. There's a lot of kind of interesting movement here. What's your thoughts on round seven? Yeah, that is a lot of interesting movement. I was surprised to see Loreano there because he was going so much, as I remember it, he was going so much earlier in drafts. And so that's kind of interesting, actually, for my YouTube video this week. I'm going to be doing a comparison of Loreano and Fam, just because they're both outfielders. They have relatively similar, similar profiles and they're going around the same spot. So just an interesting dive to dive into those, um, you know, um, yeah, it'll be, it'll be really fascinating. I mean, Loriano was so good for parts of last year, but when you look at some of the underlying metrics, like the good news is he's hitting a lot, uh, very few ground balls. So he's hitting the ball in the air a lot, but you know, he also was posting for a while there, like 30% home run per fly ball rates. And I'm just not sure I got to dig in a little bit more. Uh, to figure out where he really should have been. Um, but that's kind of an interesting little choice there that fantasy owners have. The Nelly Cruz dropping doesn't really make that much sense, I think, with the way they've been talking about the games. Maybe the sheer volume of games might be tough for him, but I don't necessarily see him taking a a step back um, for, for that reason. The guy who, to me, is the biggest question mark going right here is Nick Castellanos. Obviously love the fact that, you know, I think he's a good hitter. Uh, I don't think he's necessarily exceptional at anything, but one of the things that he was really going to benefit from this year was Great American Ballpark and the advantage that that gives, you know, hitters as pretty much the best ballpark in baseball to hit in from both the runs and, you know, just a home run perspective. It's it's truly elite. And so now he's really losing that advantage over other hitters. And so I don't see why he's moving up. You know, you look at a guy like Marcelo Zuna, who is a fairly similar hitter in my uh, in my book, if not a better hitter, because he does provide the opportunity for potentially some stolen bases. And he's also in almost one of the best spots in any lineup batting cleanup for that Braves team. You know, I don't understand him going about 20 picks or 15 picks after Castellanos. So, you know, that's really my only question is the Castellanos value right there. I think generally speaking, the other guys are, it's an interesting combination and and are all relatively good players. Uh, but yeah, it's it's interesting. And then Eugenio obviously moving up now that that the shoulder is less of an issue uh, probably this season. Yeah, I like the Suarez bump there because I've been a big Suarez guy. I had him in a lot of places last year, and he helped out a lot. So to get a 40-plus home run bat in round seven I think is really nice. I know the shoulder could still be an issue, but re- early reports look great. The longer he gets to sit and kind of rehab it, the better so a healthy Suarez could be nice. Nelson Cruz dropping makes zero sense to me at all. I just 
that's even more confusing than Charlie Blackman to me. I just don't get it. Like, if anything, I figured Cruz might go the other direction, hitting in Arizona for a full year, but uh, here we are. So those are interesting to me. Uh, Tommy Pham, Loriana both dropping. They've been side-by-side side all season. Your video will talk about that quite a bit. I basically called Ramon Loriano like Tommy Pham Jr. with the higher upside. I've, I've called him Tommy Pham on steroids just because he's younger and maybe and he has more speed to him possibly, but very, very similar players, almost like the Spider-Man meme uh, when they look at each other. And then Lou Bob dropping eight spots. I just – I like to see it. I'm glad the hype train kind of slowed down. I didn't think we'd see it ever really happen, but it did. So that's good. That's good to see. I think people are starting to realize there's depth in Chicago that uh, they need to win now. At least they think they can. They don't need to. They think they can. And if he's not ready, and uh, then they're just going to kind of move on until next season. So that is good to hear. Round eight, Jeff McNeil at 85. And we've gotten to the man, Jesus Lazardo. Do you want to take a guess at how many spots he's come up? Oh, man. Um, let's see. I got to do math here. 12 plus 14, 26 spots. 16. Oh. It's close, though. <laughs> sort of. <laughs> sort of close. You can see it's been a while since I drafted, ladies and gentlemen. Yeah, 16 spots, still quite the jump, but he's the he's one of the buzz names. Like, there's a few that you're like, okay, yeah, we, there's been a lot of talk. He was one of those. Then you got Liam Hendricks at 87, Gallo at 88. Josh Donaldson has dropped five spots to 89. Surprised me a little bit there. I thought his train might keep going the other direction because people were pretty pumped on Donaldson. He's just one spot ahead of Chapman now, and a lot of comparisons have been made of Donaldson and Chapman side by side. I know some auction drafts, I've seen them go for the same price. So that's interesting there. Uh, you got Kenley Jansen. Now we we're talking about closers a second ago, and we've already mentioned about five closers kind of staying in the same spot. Hader was up three. Kenley Jansen has risen nine spots. Nine spots. So they're starting to get some Jansen love, which is good. Eddie Rosario staying at 92. Simeon's up two to 93. Jorge Soler at 94. Sonny Gray is up three spots to 95. And Tim Anderson's dropped two spots to 296. So the big ones here is you got Lazardo's up 16. Donaldson's down five. Jansen's up nine. Any takeaways in this round eight? Yeah, I mean, for Lazardo, um, I understand everybody's really excited about him, but it doesn't make a ton of sense to me. I mean, first of all, I think he's leaving one of, if not the best, pitcher environment in Oakland Coliseum, you know, to, and, and we, we pretty much know that games aren't going to be played in California just based on what some of the uh, local leaders have, have said. And so that's going to be, that's kind of a, that kind of hurts him, you know, a little bit. Obviously people are um, kind of betting on him being able to pitch a high volume of innings, but it's still unclear like how deep into games he's going to go or how he'll be used most effectively depending on the way that the games are structured. And so there's just too many question marks and also, right. You know, he pitched, what did he pitch like 20 innings last year? So we, we really, you know, I, I feel like this is really high, uh, for him, I think it's a lot of risk uh, for a variety of different reasons. Like, I feel like there's a lot of different ways that it could go wrong. Uh, but again, all you need is is one way for it to go right. So he is shooting up draft boards for sure. Um, Donaldson, I do. Uh, I, I don't know why he's fallen. Uh, he seems like uh, solid value where he's going right now. Um, you mentioned Jansen. I loved Jansen back at the price he was before. I'm not probably as interested now I'm probably more set on getting one of those kind of middle middle tier guys, middle tier closer ones. 
um, than paying this price for Jansen, but I think it's it's earned. I think he's going to be really good again. And then the guy that I really like going here is Tim Anderson at 96. I know it's a 12-teamer, and I think he was going higher in 15-teamers, like closer to pick 75 or 80. But, you know, Tim Anderson going at pick 96, I think, is incredible value given, you know, the stolen base batting average and power uh, potential at the top of a really good lineup. So those are kind of my thoughts on on these guys. How about you? Yeah, I'm with you on Tim Anderson. I think he should be going much higher. I I think Tim Anderson and Bo Bichette are similar players. And when I have him ranked, I have him ranked similarly. That's why Bichette, where he's at now, I, it's hard for me to justify. But similar players, both 20-plus homer, 20-plus steal upside, good batting average. I like both of those guys quite a bit. I like them both more than Marcus Simeon. Simeon's going ahead of Tim Anderson here. So that's quite an interesting look there. Kenley Jansen moving up. Uh, I like Kenley with you it's going to get harder and harder to pay for him if he keeps coming up this way. Like Edwin Diaz going 15 picks later sounds a lot better to me. Ken Giles going 16 picks later looks a lot better to me. So that's a that's a tricky one. Not sure why Donaldson's falling. Lazardo we saw coming a mile away because that's the narrative street. But you said it. We still haven't seen him pitch a lot of innings, which kind of concerns me a bit. And, you know, you got, you got Lazardo at 86. You got Julio Urias at 124. Pretty similar to me, but Urias has shown innings. I'd almost rather have Urias than Lazardo. Do you have any thoughts on that? Um, yeah, I mean, at value for sure, um, Urias over Lazardo. Um, yeah, I, I don't, I am not somebody who will be paying that price uh, for Lazardo. I think they're they're decent comps, like just straight up. Um, so certainly at the value, I, I would lean heavily towards Urias. All right, let's go to round nine here. You got Josh Bell at 97, Moustakis at 98, Ozuna at 99. Ozuna's dropped three spots to 99. Taylor Rogers at 100, Frankie Montas up two spots to 101, and then a free fall, an absolute free fall for Corey Kluber, Toby. He has dropped 13 spots to 102. Corey Kluber, that one stood out a lot to me. Uh, Mike Soroka is the same at 103. Brad Hands up two to 104. Yasmani Grandal, Edmund Diaz at 105 and 106. Ken Giles up four spots to 107. And then Miguel Sano at 108. So the big one here is Corey Kluber down 13. Giles up a bit. Ozuna down some, but Kluber stands out big time. Any thoughts on this range? Yeah, I mean, the only player that I really like where they're going right here is probably Ozuna. Um, yeah, it's kind of like round five for me. There's just not a lot to like. I'm not big in on Corey Kluber. I just think the velocity dip uh, that he ex- that he's experienced in the fastball for a couple seasons um, and some of the injury concerns just don't make me as interested in him, but could be very wrong on him there. You know, Montes, you're obviously paying a premium. He's looked very, very good. Again, he's going to be an Oakland A's pitcher, though, that's going to be leaving, you know, the friendly confines of Oakland Coliseum. So, and then, you know, we've talked about Brad Hand before and even some of these closers like Diaz. I like your shout for Diaz as a better value than Kenley Jansen at this point. But still, I feel like you're paying a premium and I'm not really interested in doing that. And I'm bummed out to see Sano so high. I was remarking before we started the pod about how I thought he'd moved up a ton, but we're saying it's just one spot. You know, Sano is very good. But again, if it's an offensive charged environment, you know, where the ball's carrying a little bit further because you're playing all your games in Arizona, you know, then I think Sano's major 
you know, contributing factor of the batting average is, or the batting average, the opposite of that, uh, his power, you know, you don't get more home runs for hitting the ball further. Uh, you, he's going to get a similar number of home runs, but guys who are, you know, it's kind of like what we saw with the juiced ball, where with the juiced ball, it's not like guys started hitting 70 home runs. You know, you had your elite power hitters remained your elite power hitters, but then you had guys, so many guys who hit 20, so many guys who hit 30, you know, those are the guys who I think are going to benefit the most from that. And Sano, his biggest quality is going to get a hit from that. So I don't understand him being that high because I still think there's major concerns and he's likely to hit towards the back end of that lineup as well with, if they go to seven innings games could hurt them a lot. So a lot of questions for me there, but overall it's just a group of players outside of Ozuna who I really don't see much value in. You know, Ozuna could be interesting, especially in an all Arizona type league. I love Moustakis. I've always been a big Moustakis fan, especially with his second base eligibility at this point in the draft that can help tremendously unless you want some of the super value guys late at second base, which is fine as well. Uh, I do like Sano. I agree with what you're saying, but I'm still – I'm on a, a full season as Sano. I know it's even a short, but a full – no injuries, play the same amount of games as everybody else, I think is a, a big difference maker in Miguel Sano. So I'll go that route. And uh, Corey Kluber, that's shocked me. I know the velocity is an issue. I get it. And, you know, new team, but he, he's learned how to deal with slow starts and the velocity before. So I'm, I was surprised. I'm not like full on in on Corey Kluber. I was just surprised to see the drop of uh, 13 spots for Corey Kluber. Stood out a lot. All right, we go to round 10, our last round of the evening, and we have a lot of movement, lots of movement. Hector Neris up five spots to 109. Fran Mil Reyes up eight spots to 110. Carlos Correa's dropped three spots to 111. Benny at 112. Reese Hoskins up four spots to 113. Oscar Mercado at 114, and our biggest mover in the top 10, top 10 rounds. James Paxton, now that he's supposed to be healthy, has moved up 34 spots to 115. Uh, Wilson Contreras up four spots to 116. Mitch Garver's up four spots to 117. Then Ellison Lamette at 118. And then we have Zach Wheeler has dropped nine spots to 119. Lance Lynn has dropped five spots to 120. So some starting pitchers taking a hit down. You got Fran Mill up, uh, obviously Paxton, some catchers making the rise. Lots of movement in round 10, Toby. Anything standing out to you? Um, I think the things that stand out to me are Paxton. Obviously, he's moved up considerably. I'd be interested like in the most recent drafts where he's going, if it's still around 115, like over the last couple of weeks, now that it's Name pretty the dates. clear. That... I got it right here. What are you looking Ooh. for? Actually, I, I've got it in front of me right here, too. I'll go 415. To what, 427. Good. All right, it's updating. He's up to 116 overall, 119.80p. So he's almost the oh, same. He's, yeah, he's pretty much the same. So um, for Paxton, uh, I think that like there's so many pitchers that are going before him that I would rather have him. Like I'm not a huge Paxton fan necessarily. Um, you know, obviously like the back should be healthy by the time the season starts up. And so you're still getting a pretty considerable discount from where he was going earlier on. Like you're still like 25 picks, I think, from where he was going initially in drafts. But I'd much rather have him than so many of the starting pitchers uh, that are going ahead of him, like him or Sonny Gray. I mean, uh, that's a no doubter uh, for me right there. And there's uh, 20 picks between them. I think it just crystallizes for me, like why why I like the pocket aces strategy, because I'm going to avoid this just kind of 
cluster of guys who were just hoping make a huge leap or uh, something. So um, I don't know. I, I'm I'm not a huge uh, I'm not a huge fan of Paxton, but I do think can, compared to a lot of the other starting pitchers who are going around this spot, I do think there's value there. I think Mercado's price is interesting. You know, he was going earlier earlier on in drafts, like he was going around pick 100 to 105. I think um, you know maybe not so much closer to drafts because he had that injury during spring training, but. Um, I think it's interesting to see him here. I still really like him a lot. He was doing everything he could to show that he was you know, a good ball player, better plate discipline, more contact. He's got the speed, hitting more ground balls, hitting the ball in the air more. Um, so I, I really like Mercado where he's going right here, especially if you miss out on some of those stolen base guys early. He's a really nice, you know, uh, 20 stolen base guy in a 600 plate appearance season the other guys you know i really i do like wilson Contreras a lot um as a catcher if i miss out if i don't get real muto i kind of like him him moving up isn't that great of news um you know but i'd probably rather him where he's going right now than maybe yasmani grandal um i gotta look into a little bit more things but you know um wrigley isn't a great hitters park and so maybe he'll get a little bit of a boost there. You know, Grandal, he's in a loaded White Sox lineup. He may not get those DH spots or those first base spots like we anticipated. Uh, so, but overall, like not a very interesting group of guys right here. So, um, you know, even the, even the, yeah, I mean, there's, is there, there's not even like Naris going at 109. I just hate to pay that price. There's just a lot of, I'd hate to pay that price type guys. Um, I do think Benintendi, there's been some really nice analysis and work on kind of like where he made it might have gone wrong last year. So I like him as a bounce back candidate going there. You know, Hoskins is tough in average leagues, but, you know, not not bad value. Overall, just kind of boring. <laughs> I'd rather have uh, Kyle Schwarber than pretty much all of these guys. Yeah, Franmil, I'll take Franmil. We're good with Franmil. I like Kevin. I don't, don't like that he keeps moving up, but uh, people are recognizing – the talent here. So I like that quite a bit. Um, I'm with you on Paxton. I, I was, I liked Paxton a lot. Then he got hurt. So obviously I didn't like Paxton. Now he's going to be healthy. I'm going to like Paxton again. And he's cheaper now than he was uh, when the season started. So I'm, I'm back on board there. The Zach Wheeler falling and Lance Lynn falling surprised me a lot, especially Lynn. Lynn really surprised me just because that reliability that he can bring. He pitched in Arlington for crying out loud. Arizona's not going to be a ton different. It's going to be pretty bandboxy to say the least. So I, I think Lynn dropping could bring a little bit of value to you. I'm a Wheeler fan. I could see the concern potentially pitching in Arizona, but I like him. Garver and, and Contreras, the catchers are moving up, which is interesting to me. Uh, I'm not sure exactly there, but they moved up. Grandal's where he was. But Gary Sanchez moved up a little. Rio Muto, so that's what, five or six catchers in the first 10 rounds. That's a, a little bit of movement there, so that's, that's interesting. I like seeing Reese Hoskins getting some love too, but uh, Paxton for sure. Fran Mill, it's like Fran Mill, Miguel Sano, uh, Bichette. These guys I absolutely love are starting to get priced up a little too high, which stinks a lot, but um, I, I, I understand it. I understand the movement. It's just not, not ideal. So this range, it's all about James Paxton in a big, big way. Maybe some some value on a Lance Lynn for me. Otherwise, we shall see. But that we shall see next week as we'll do um, rounds, what, 11 through 20. You go through uh, 120 more guys. And if we thought the movie and shaking was big then, there'll be a lot more oh, now. Yeah. So 
it should be a, a lot of fun seeing those. Plus, we'll have another week's worth of ADP. As people keep drafting, there's actually – I know we had a break in March when the news came down, so people kind of stopped for a little bit. But there's been more drafts in April online than there were in March. So you thought people would have like been going stir-crazy the first two weeks of March before the news dropped. I know there was a couple weeks off, so it kind of changed it. But it just still stood out to me a little bit that April, people are back at it. So don't you uh, fret on that one. All right, let's do a couple listener questions here, and we'll get us on our way. Brian Rudd at Rudd HQ. First off, Toby, do you think Joe Adele or Alec Baum start the season in the majors? Yes or no? I think with the expanded rosters, they probably will. Um, in Jeff Passan's article, he was saying that there, it's very unlikely that there's any type of minor league season this year. So I think guys with who are part of the future who may not have been ready right away will be with the big league team, you know, when those rosters are expanded. So I do think that they, you know, will start the season in the majors with the expanded rosters. The value um, aspect of it, I think, is um, well. Have you gotten to those that part of the question yet? No, I'm jumping ahead. You were jumping ahead. I'm jumping ahead. Um, so, yes, I agree with you on the fact that um, I could see both of them being on the roster because the expanded rosters, now where you're headed with this, is the playing time could be in question. So if they're on the team, which we both assume they will be, is the value higher due to being up all year, lower due to being rushed, or about the same as those factors would, will cancel each other out? So higher, lower, or same? Um, you know, I would say higher, I think. Um, and that's not to say, I think it's higher than it was before because they're, you know, they won't have the same roster issues probably, um, as they had before. Again, like if they're punished in some sort of way for having the guys, you know, on their expanded roster during this period of time, and that's going to count against some playing time, then maybe they won't have them. But assuming that they're on the major league roster, I think having them there gives them an opportunity to play when maybe they haven't. And, you know, it gives them access to the big league coaching staff for a longer period of time where they can really work with them. Obviously not getting the regular at bats is, is a challenge for sure, but I'm not super high on either of these guys for, um, you know, for this year, uh, like, you know, Adele, for instance, ATC has him at a 248 batting average, 13 home runs, eight stolen bases and 420 plate appearances so that could be decent, but, you know, the strikeouts are still an issue. And so that's not necessarily the type of player that I'm super high on going after. Um, and then with Baum, I mean, there might be the potential for, you know, him to contribute, you know, given some of the lack of depth in the infield, I guess you'll say, depending on what you think of, of what Scott Kingery will do or whether he'll play center field, although he may not need to, I guess, with Andrew McCutcheon probably being healthy. But, you know, you're looking again, like there's nothing that like really jumps out about them as being particularly spectacular. ATC has him at a 265 batting average, nine home runs and 225 plate appearances. So it's certainly not um, it's certainly not bad. Uh, but for for both of them, like they're not really I, I wouldn't really target them um, in drafts necessarily. So I do think that they have higher value if that makes sense, but I was valuing them so low earlier that I still don't think that they're guys that I'll be going after that much. But if I had to pick one, you know, I would probably look at Adele just because, you know, the angels want to make the playoffs. 
Uh, they've got, you know, um, they've invested a lot in the team and he also has speed, which I think will obviously be um, fairly critical. So he seems like more of a guy who could um, contribute in that respect. So I'd probably lean towards him, but I don't know. What do you, what, how do you feel about these two guys? Yeah, they both have increased value just being on the roster. Adele, I like much more than Baum. Baum, I'm just, I have trouble seeing consistent playing time if unless something like a guy really, really struggles and injury takes place. Because I, I believe in Kingery, but Kingery can also play all over the diamond. Uh, McCutcheon will be back, like you said. Segura is going to play a couple positions. They're moving guys all over the place there. So I'm not saying there's not a spot for Baum. The DH could help a ton there too. So there's options because his defense has been a liability. It's never been the issue of the bat. With Adele, there was rumors he's going to start out in AAA this year to kind of fine-tune things before he got the call-up. And then assuming once he was called up, he'd be ready to rock and roll with the big club because then we're going to call him up to sit him on the bench. Now with no, no minor league system this season, expanded rosters, he'll start on the rosters, which is a huge plus. And I think it'll help him potentially crack the lineup sooner. Like you said, they want to win now. Look who he's trying to beat out in the outfield. Like if there's a DH, you just put Otani at DH, let Odell play in the outfield or stuff along those lines. Um, it's not a loaded team in the outfield. Upton's there, uh, who might have the DH also. You have Pools. Pools just getting these to get out of the way. That's pretty simple to me. Put Otani at first if you want. Lots of ways to go around it. Um, but they can squeeze Adele in there more as he can give you a five-tool player, five-category player over bombs. So I think Adele's value actually comes up. If you look at online ADPs from the 15th till now, Adele's ADP is actually 255. Might be a little too rich for my blood. I'll be honest about that. But we had something to monitor. Bomb hasn't even been doesn't even doesn't even have an online ADP, so no one's even drafting him uh, for the most part. So I'm with you on Adele. Bomb, he's fun. He seems intriguing. Probably won't end up any of my rosters. Yeah, I mean, Scott, even, yeah. like like with with Adele, like you're mentioning. I mean, like. If he's going at 255, I mean, Randall Grichuk's going later than he is. Austin Hayes is going later than he is. Will Myers is going later than he is. Ian Happ is going later than he is. I mean, that's like even Shogo Akiyama is going later than he is. That's like five outfielders I'd rather have than Joe Adele, like just straight off the bat. And that's like, you know, the next 15 picks. So um, I think that's a that's a great shout. All right, let's go to Scott Jenstead, our buddy Scott from Roto Wire. Who is your favorite Blue Jays infielder in the top 120 with current price and consideration? Pretty sure this was directed towards you, Toby, as uh, Bo Bichette's going at 44. Oh. And uh, the Vladito is dropping to number – where did I put the sheet? Uh, he's down to 63. So those are the only two outfielders in the top 120 that I could count for the Blue Jays. Who's your favorite? Well, I am going to um, um, neither of them. Uh, no, I'm going to uh, I'm going to I'm going to adapt the question a little bit. I'm going to adapt it to be the top 127 of players. Does Kevin Biggio come in. As Kevin Biggio, yeah. I mean, at their <laughs> where they're going right now, I think I would prefer, and I think Scott will be happy about this because I think I was listening to. Uh, episode with him and Jeff a couple weeks weeks ago and he was mentioning that he likes Biggio. Um I just have, you know, like the challenge for me is I like Boba Shett more at his value than I like Vlad because I can see the path to that value a lot clearer for Boba Shett. And I don't think it takes as many major changes to his approach and, you know, his ground ball rate and all of that stuff. 
So I'd rather Bichette than Vladito at their cost. It's just so hard for me to think about spending the 44th pick in a draft on Bo Bichette. That's just, I can't, I just can't get myself to think about that. And so in the same with Vlad, like I just paying that much for a guy with no speed and with like a close to 50% ground ball rate who doesn't hit the ball that hard when he hits it in the air. Like, yes, he can do that. Like we know that, but his, his average exit velocity on line drives and fly balls is not special at all. Um, and so, you know, I think Biggio, I'd much rather have Biggio at, at his pick. I haven't really been drafting him a lot of places, but I think for Biggio, like, I think there is a pretty clear path to him being better, which involves, you know, him just being a little less passive at the plate um, and maybe attacking the ball a little bit earlier in counts where, you know, you could see maybe a, a slight little bump in his batting average, which is all he'll need with both the power and speed combo. And so I would much rather have Biggio where he's going right now than I would uh, those other two. So I'm going to cheat and go with Biggio because I don't want either of the other two. That's no fun. Um, yeah, so I'll take, <laughs> I'll take Bichette, of course. So I want Bichette over Vlad. I could see Bichette having a monster season. And if I had to pick two, I want Bichette. If I'm going to play Toby's cheating ways, I could see the Kevin Biggio arguments. We talked about him before that if he's just more aggressive at the plate instead of walking so much or getting two strike counts and striking out, uh, I think he could definitely be much more productive. The powers there, the exit velo, hard hit, all the goodness. Stolen bases are there. Bichette's got super, super talent. It's just a matter of switching it off at the plate. But it's Bichette for me if uh, if we're going between the two because that's my boy. All right, let's go to Cody McDonald at Comac. He's got three questions for us. Three questions. We're going to save the first one for last. We'll have a fun Oh, one man, Baba. You know that's the one I've been thinking about all day. I know. I figured. You saw that one, and I figured I figured I need to get my notepad out. Cody, Cody, why are you doing this to me? Um, so we'll start with number two here. Regardless of what happens this year, do you think you will play more or less leagues in 2021 and why? I think I will play, it'll depend. I mean, I think probably more only because some of the leagues that I was going to do, I think won't end up happening, um, just because of the shortened season. So I'll, but I'll say about the same. I'm pretty much at capacity right now. I mean, last year I did 10 fab leagues, which is just a lot. Um, this year I was going to do a lot more than last year, but they were all DCs. So what I'll probably end up doing is something similar where I have like, you know, five to eight, uh, draft champions leagues. And then you got the TGFBI and then I have the dynasty league and a home league. And then probably the same barf. number of kind of mains. Yeah. Barf, same number of mains. So probably something's pretty similar. I don't think I can really push that, um, and be continue to hopefully be successful, but at the same time, like, let's see how this season goes. If I, maybe I get into a groove and I, I feel like I can handle it, but I'm probably set at what I'm, I'm at right now. So probably, I'm probably at capacity at the moment. How about you? Yeah, I'll probably continue to do the same thing. It's usually anywhere from six to 10 leagues, kind of like yourself. just kind of depends on it all. I might do more best ball draft champions type formats next time around to get a feel for the ADP and everything like that. But I usually just continue to do the same thing. I think his question was kind of like how the season goes. Will that change your your way maybe? I I don't think that'll change. As long as if we got a full season next year, I'm playing my normal stuff. It's not going to affect me at all one way or another. It might be fun trying to analyze things because we're obviously not going to have the same situations this year as we've had in recent years or in future years. But that's part of the challenge. That's part of the fun of it. But 
my overall um, workload or teams or whatever you want to say, it, I don't see it changing a ton. Maybe adding a couple more just because that was kind of the goal this year was to add a handful more. I'm trying to take on Matt Modica's bankroll challenge of building your bankroll in the NFBC. So I've been, I've been trying that approach and I had more planned out and that got shut down on March 15th. So we'll have to see how things go here. And, and uh, I think I'll play a little more, but not crazy amounts uh, more than before. All right. How do you think this all affects the upcoming CBA negotiations? Yeah, I mean, uh, I would definitely recommend reading Jeff Passan's article. He discussed that in detail. I think it's going to be it's going to be so challenging. It's really hard to know because there's a variety of different ways that it could go. Right? Is um, you know, uh, you want the players to be able to get their their piece of the pie, their fair piece of the pie. Uh, it's I feel like the owners are going to use uh, what's taken place and potential losses in revenue, both at the gate and otherwise. And the possibility of no play happening to, you know, put the players in a difficult position because we've seen over and over and over again that this is a business and that's the way that baseball uh, owners are going to run it. And so it doesn't give me a ton of hope. I just hope that, you know, my big hope is that the players can get their fair shake of it because I think right now, uh, right now they don't. And so them getting their fair shake, minor leaguers getting their fair shake, um, there's more than enough generally speaking. And again, we need to see what happens with the game, you know, after COVID-19, but there's more than enough to go around and the owners are wealthy enough uh, where we can, um, we can, we can let the players get a little bit more of the pie. So I'm hoping that's how it goes, but I think there's a lot of different directions that it could, could, could go in. And and the way it looks like is that owners are going to have even more leverage than maybe they would have had uh, otherwise. That's the worst part is I think they will have more leverage, which really sucks because more often than not, these negotiations, the players go in and they take it in the chin. It's just the way it goes. Unfortunately, uh, they get a few things they want. But in the end, the owners still walk out with all the money. That's how it seems to go more often than not. And it looked like we actually had some kind of leverage going in the player's side the last year or so. I think they've lost a lot of that. And it's I've lost might not be the right word because this is completely out of their control to lose. But uh, like you said, the owners are going to come to the table and kind of point the finger at lost revenues and looks feel sorry for me because instead of having like $4 billion, I'm only going to have like 2.5 this year, which is just terrifying to think about. But um, that's going to be the scenario. And they're already talking about cutting back minor league teams. And that's horrible and garbage. And these players already don't make enough money as it is. Like they make like, like no money. So it was looking like people were going to start getting their, their rightful piece of the pie, at least closer to it. And that's going to be tough to see how that works. I'm just hoping in the end – I hope the, the players don't have to um, conform too much to the demands of the owners and because I don't want to see a strike. And I thought a couple of years ago we were destined for a strike, started to feel like we weren't going to get a strike. Now with this, we might be heading there again. And I think that's the last thing baseball needs after what we're going through right now is a strike again in another year or so. And the owners will use that towards the players as well. So that'll make things really interesting. And the worst part is we saw it with the NFL here a lot of the people voting are the younger players mm. that don't make enough money. So the owners can throw out a little carrot to these young guys and go, Hey, here's an extra couple hundred thousand where the guys that make a lot of money don't care about it. And it screws the votes. So something to keep in mind because the young players are the ones struggling the most right now compared to the ones with all the money. That's why they'll sit there and take that carrot pretty quick. Absolutely. Yeah. Oh. I think you're right on there. All right. The last question. And I got my notepad out. 
Oh, man. What advice would you give Bubba, me, as he is soon set to become a father in July? Uh, so I thought a lot about this one, and I think it's really hard to give advice to people about uh, parenting <laughs> and becoming a parent because every single situation is different. So I thought what I'd do is like at first, it's just kind of survival mode. Like you're just trying to learn and you're just trying to you know, keep this small, like living being like, you know, um, alive, like you're just learning how to take care of them. And, um, and that is, that's its own kind of battle. But I think the thing that I would say most of all is just, uh, it's just like patience. I think patience for yourself, you know, like you have an idea right now of the parent you're going to be, and chances are, is, is it's going to be different. Um, or your idea of parenthood is going to be different, both in a good way. And, you know, and kind of challenging what you think uh, you'll be in as a parent as well. And then I also think like with your kids, like also giving, giving them patience and giving them a little grace as well. You know, they're going to be growing and trying to learn and trying to figure out the world. And so just doing your best to, uh, to guide them in that and give each person on uh, each side of the equation, a little bit, of, a little bit of grace and a little bit of patience um, because, you know, life, life outside of parenthood happens as well. And so just trying to manage all of that stuff, um, can be challenging, but there's just so many incredible moments. You'll like a month in, you'll be like, I don't even realize, I can't even remember what it was like before, uh, having a kid. So I'm just really happy for you, um, and your wife, uh, very happy for, uh, for, for baby, uh, for baby Bubba. Um, you know, to, uh, to be there. And I think, uh, she's a lucky, little one to, uh, to be joining your family. So that is, that is my, uh, sage advice, but I'd also tell you, don't take advice from other people, be your own, be your own person. <laughs> I appreciate all of that. And I appreciate the last part there because as you know, when you had your first child, everyone has an opinion for you, all of them. And, uh, yours was the best so far because it was, it was, yes, if you want to take this, take it. If not, don't worry about it. Or <laughs> most totally. people, it's like, most people, it's like, yes, there's all this, all this, all this. And yours actually makes sense. Unlike this is how most people tell you, this is how I did it. Well, how you did it might not work. Well, I have to do it. So I'm just going to throw that one out there for you. So like, uh, I have, this, yeah. this is how I fixed this particular problem. And like, it doesn't, it doesn't work for everybody. Right. Yeah. So it's like, it's like yeah. a snowflake. Every problem is probably different. Uh, there you go. It's, you've got it all. You've already got the metaphors down. You, uh, you've already aced this parenthood thing. Oh, thank you. Yeah, no, yeah. me, me, and my dogs my whole life. That's how. No, I'm kidding. There, there you go. Yeah. I used to. I I joked around with my uh, my wife that it, that a dog was like harder than than a child. Like we didn't have a dog, but I was always like, man, it seems like so hard because you know with a child, it's like you can't just ne- neglect a child, right? But like with a dog, it's like, ah, oh, do I really want to go out and take go on a walk tonight? Ah, oh, maybe not. You know. So, um, anyways, it'll be it'll be great. It'll it'll be it'll be awesome. Um, and I'm really happy for you guys. Thanks. Thanks. And the, the weirdest part was at first when I found out about this, the first, like one of the first things I'm like, okay, so we're going to be around the all-star break. I'm going to have to figure this out for baseball, blah, blah, blah. Now it's like, we might have opening day around this time. And I got to try to figure like, this is going to get like a whirlwind in a hurry. I'm trying to adapt to a whole new world of baseball at the same time could be quite the experiment in uh, figuring things out. So maybe I should cut back on things this year, but uh, we shall see. We shall see. Long ways to go. Two, at least two months, it sounds like. So we'll see on that respect. But any closing thoughts, Toby, as we'll do the next 10 rounds next week? I think it's just a fun exercise to see how things change, kind of talk about the player pool a little more, maybe kind of give our thoughts on uh, different things that might have changed in the last month or two. 
Yeah, no, it's interesting for me. I, you know, as folks have probably gleaned from me listening to the changes in ADP, I haven't really been drafting, you know, too recently. Um, and so, you know, I think my last draft was probably mid-March, uh, mid to early March. And so it's been a little while. And so it's definitely important to get in there, look, take a look at the ADP, see how things are changing, see whether, you know, it makes sense, like, like kind of Bubba mentioned, like with the Charlie Blackman, like, why is he moving up the draft board? Does that make sense? That might be a bad example because the answer is no, but just like try to figure <laughs> out like what like might Nelson Cruz, why is Nelson Cruz dropping 12 spots? Exactly. So it's like, figure out, you know, what, what might, might make sense for a reason a guy might go up at this point in time and increase in value or a reason he might go down in value. Um, so I think it's a really helpful, it's been helpful for me to go through this and, and I think it'll be helpful for other folks to do the same. So don't do it now. Just wait for us to go through 120 to 240 next week. And if you guys have any questions, if you want to look ahead to the next 120, that's fine. Shoot us questions on specific people and we'll make sure to talk about them. Like we're just kind of going through things that stand out to us, maybe players we like, how they kind of differ in Arizona or whatever. We're spitballing ideas here. If you guys have specific players, Fire off. Like, we'll talk about them. Not a problem in the world. Uh, otherwise, come up with cool questions like Cody did. They don't have to all be fantasy-related. We can have fun. We've had the hot dog questions. We have found out about a great vegan hot dog up in, in Boston area. Um, we did. Parenting advice. We, like, we, we can answer all kinds of things. So throw them at us. We're having fun talking baseball. But uh, if you just want to have us spitball conversations, feel free to, to fire away. But until you, next time. You want to know something, yeah. Bubba? They, they yeah. actually tweeted back at me. Spike's hot dog. After that, standing. They they like a free coupon. Well, they're only in New England, so if anybody has a a Spike's hot dogs around them, you order to go. Given the physical distancing that's happening right now, just give me a holler. Get that date. Big days to the (laughs) locks. Outstanding. Uh, I'll have to check the place out for the. I've been dying to go back that way one of these days. Maybe uh, when things are back to normal, I will make that that trip whenever we are safe to travel again. But uh, until next time, Toby's on Twitter at BatFlipCrazy. I'm at B- BDentric. This was a quick recap of the ADPs 1 through 120. Bubba and the BatFlip episode 35. Catch you all later. month at O'Reilly Auto Parts. Get up to a $25 gift card after rebate with the purchase of select Superstart batteries. Our professional parts people will test your old battery for free and recommend the right battery for your vehicle. For power, performance, and reliability, choose Superstart batteries only at O'Reilly Auto Parts. Oh, 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 O'Reilly Auto Parts.